0: So they walked me through this pirate graveyard and there's real gravestones with real skulls and crossbones on them, like real pirates. And instead of like, you know, here lies old John, there was one that said, it's a short life, but a merry one for me. So like, and it had a skull and crossbones, so people basically saying like, I'm just going to drink a lot and die young, but that's badass.
1: Welcome back to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast, where I chat with some of the most fascinating friends, professionals, and colleagues from around the globe, including entrepreneurs, fellow guides, teachers, and digital nomads, all of whom share a passion for travel. Today's guest is Steve Bermucci, editor of the viral media news platform, Uprock's Life. Steve's also written for National Geographic and AFAR. On this podcast, we discuss everything from navigating whirlpools down the Mekong River in basically a canoe to studying Komodo dragons in Indonesia. His story of exploring a real-life pirate graveyard in Madagascar won the Trasler Oasis Prize, and his trip across Australia in a car fueled with French fry oil was adapted into an Australian TV show, if you can believe it. I love the philosophy he brings to travel, and I'm excited to share that with you on this show. Steve's first novel, The Danger Gang and the Pirates of Borneo, based on the Graveyard Experience, will be published this year. Be sure to check it out. But before we get started, here's this week's edition of Ask Andy, where I answer your burning travel questions. Today's travel question comes from Marie over in Portland, Oregon. Do you have any souvenirs you like to bring home after your travels? Or what have you found is the best token to keep memories of past trips? That's a great question, Marie. Thanks for sending it in. Um, for myself, I love to pick up practical things on the road. I'm not into just collecting magnets or shot glasses or coins. None of that really gets me too excited and I'm really trying to minimalize uh, my life to try and keep it as simple as possible. So what I always go for is actually practical stuff that I'm gonna use. Right now, I'm wearing flip-flops I bought in Dublin for eight euros. Um, I was in Columbia. I got a hat for $6 that was made, woven out of, what's that, what's that called, the uh, ferns? And I was just in London a couple weeks ago, and I got an amazing leather belt uh, in the Camden market. And that's such a cool experience. I wear it and use it every day. I, I really like to keep things as uh, useful as possible so that I'm not just carrying around dead weight. I hope that helps. Thank you so much, Marie. Don't forget to send any questions you have to us on andysteves.com podcast. On a personal note, I received word late last night that my grandma, Helen Jenkins, was in a serious accident in Omaha. I still don't know much, but she's on life support in a hospital and I've booked a flight for tomorrow morning to get back to be with the family from here in Berlin via Stockholm, uh, Chicago, and then on to Omaha. My grandma gave birth to 13 kids over the years, if you can believe it. While she lost one child to sudden infant death syndrome, she raised 12 incredible kids into amazing, upstanding humans. Musicians, a priest, nurses and doctors, educators, caretakers, and more. I'm one of 45 cousins on my mom's side alone, and our grandma Helen has always been the epicenter of this loving family. All 60-plus immediate family members are equally loved and welcomed into this special family of ours and upstanding members in each of their individual communities. And I think that's a real testament to how incredible and great our grandma and grandpa Harry really are and were. Um, When life events happen like this, I find it to be such a poignant reminder to live life to the fullest every day. Be the best that you can be and always share compassion to even those who deserve it the least. Every day we interact with other humans and it's so important for us to be messengers of peace and love rather than hatred and exclusion. To pursue knowledge and enlightenment, even if it makes you uncomfortable, which a travel is a great example of that, rather than remain in contented ignorance. So your thoughts and prayers are definitely appreciated. I'm going to try to be not too distracted. Um, I'll be doing my best to keep up my podcasts, and I've got a great team kicking off our spring tour season with weekend student adventures. Be sure to check out what we're up to at uh, facebook.com slash Europe. As always, your five star reviews are hugely appreciated in iTunes. Please get that in ASAP as it helps us climb up the ratings ladder. Keep telling your friends and family about us. Thanks a million. Uh, Without further ado, let's get on to this interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Cheers, guys. Sharing tips, tricks, and tales from around the globe, this is Travel for the Next Generation. You're listening to the Andy Steves Travel
0: Podcast, episode number eight.
1: All right, this is Andy Steves with the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to to connect here. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You got quite the travel resume under your uh, your travel belt, if you will. And I'm so excited <laughs> to hear some stories. So, you are currently the editor of uprocks.com, is that is that correct? I'm there the life section
0: editor, which is travel and food and adventure. Basically the three things I was writing before. I- happened with that was kind of interesting and a good lesson to any would-be travel writer. I, uh, I use this little method when I'm freelance writing, and I freelance wrote for 15 years called the Pomodoro Method. It's a little app, and it gives you like a 26-minute timer, and then you have a three-minute break. So you really work, and you don't browse on the Internet, and then you have a three-minute break. And when I was browsing on the Internet, I was going to the same site over and over. So I was finally like, well, I'm going to this site a lot. I should probably be paid for it. So <laughs> I, I emailed them and I said, I thought I think you guys would do really well with travel. I think you would do really well with food. Why don't you just let me start the section? And there was completely cold email. I didn't know anyone at the company. And they emailed back and they said, Yeah, that seems like a good idea. And uh it has, it's it's worked out really well because they obviously have this huge audience. And we've been able to bring, you know, my beliefs about travel to that crew and develop this really young travel section that our our life section just last month got 4 million unique page views. So that's a lot, you know, in the travel world where everyone's kind of fighting to get eyeballs.
1: Can you give us the background of uprocks.com and why we would want to check that out?
0: Yeah, Uprox was started by, I mean, it was actually just this loose uh, affiliation of sites, At first, like people who were kind of internet famous for the way they wrote, uh, you know, and just kind of had big Twitter followings and really people who were popular online. And then it was kind of all packaged together by this guy, Jarrett Meyer, who started raucous records in the 90s. So he gave Talib Kweli his first contract and gave Mos Def his first contract and famously uh, passed on Kanye West. (laughs) But so he had quite the career and then he got out of the music business and started this and so he's kind of a one of those branding visionary people and it's it's pretty fun to just kind of rally around him and for me you know loving travel the way that i do getting to tell those stories on someone else's big platform is really fun
1: are these um articles cool um eye candy on instagram what's the uh the range of content that people can find there
0: um, I mean, I think my favorite, all right, I'll tell you my favorite it is a series that we have, you know, when I was traveling, I started across the country, and, um, you know, it was, it just felt very raw, very Kerouac, and so I was carrying on the road with me, and there's that beautiful sentence in there where he says, the only people for me are the mad ones, mad to live, mad to burn, uh, flaming like Roman candles across the sky. And so we started this series called The Mad Ones, and it's about people who travel nonstop. And they really unpack how they do it and, you know, how they finance it. And for some of them, it's because, like, I have to be honest, like, it's because they take pictures and get paid a lot to take pictures on Instagram. Um, Maybe they surf really well or they happen to have a lot of photos of like super attractive people. But for some but for some of them, they're like working on organic farms, or they're, you know, they saved money because like you, they keep a they keep an apartment that they manage. Or we interviewed someone who traveled around the world based just on Airbnb her house, you know? Mm-hmm. So it really to me like when I was twenty-four, I dropped out of everything and traveled around the world for thirteen months. Mm-hmm. And the, the most fascinating thing to me was always that people were shocked at how this could be done. And I was like, well, pretty simply actually. Like I was I was a I was a grade school teacher before I started traveling and travel writing like that. And so I was like, yeah, it's I mean it's not super complicated. You just kinda have to do it. And I think for me to give a roadmap to as many people as possible to say like this is how it would be done was really the goal when I started a section.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. I think that's um, a a lot of this audience that I'm going after are are doing the nine to five back in the States. They are um, maybe, you know, they enjoy their work to whatever degree. But so many people after their study abroad experience or their international travel experience are just dying to keep staying on the road or at least have have a big international trip on the horizon at all times. Um, I think that's so exciting to share stories of individuals who have just said, you know what? These jobs will always be here for me when I get back, and now is the day that I just gotta, you know, grab my life and and take it around the world. And I mean, you've had some incredible experiences on the road. You you worked as a photographer, as a teacher. I checked out that surfing video that you narrated with a couple uh, pros, (laughs) Um, author, travel blogger, editor. You know. So as long as you have a head on your shoulders, it seems like you can find a lot of inspirational stories from people like yourself and and people that you'd find on uh, uprocks.com.
0: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, and I think you probably know this better than anyone, um but but it's a big deal to me. So first of all, like writing for this audience is a nice return for me because when I was when I was traveling, I was this audience. The the platform wasn't there and didn't exist and and you know, But I was this audience and so and then I spent about 10 years writing for Glossies and going on expensive press trips and staying on, you know, rare islands in Tahiti.
1: When you say Glossies, does that mean like magazines?
0: Yeah, Glossy magazines. Sorry, but I was writing for this audience of people that had a tremendous amount of money, which is great for them. Um, And, you know, they're taking 10 day vacations out of the country. That's the average vacation out of the United States. And so what I wanted to do was write for an audience again that is really doing like what, you know, you and me might call like itinerant traveling or, or kind of just going and figuring it out as they go and, and linking flights together and not always knowing, okay, I leave on the 21st and I return on the 3rd,
1: mm-hmm, uh, which, is, mm-hmm. which
0: is the most typical type of American international travel. So for me, that was, that's really exciting to be kind of speaking to that, to that audience again
1: and you even wrote a uh, a book if i understand correctly danger gang and the pirates of borneo is that right yeah hey thanks for that <laughs> shout out anytime man um tell us about that
0: so again like you know it's so interesting traveling has has really given me my entire life it's really it's really been that gift that has given me my entire adult life and at some point i wanted to incorporate a lot of those travel stories i was doing a, a lot of storytelling at grade schools, and I started writing for children. So I write books for children also, and The Danger Gang is a novel for kids, but it's deeply infused. First of all, it takes place in Borneo. So it's deeply infused with travel writing um, and deeply infused with, with my travel experiences. And I think, for me, so much of travel is about nostalgia. One of the big trips I took was spending a week studying Komodo dragons on the island of Rinca in Indonesia. That's not a trip I took because adult Steve Bermucci is, I'm not a scientist. I don't have that history. That's something I did because 10 year old Steve Bermucci saw it in National Geographic for Kids and was like, oh, that seems cool. So I think, (laughs) like, you know, I think for me, like, travel writing has kind of bled into just about every other part of my life.
1: Did that idea for a book like this come from your, your teaching experience and you're like, wow, I wish I could communicate a different story or were you particularly inspired by any one trip or what made you take pen to, to paper in that case?
0: That's a good question. So I, I had a short story for adults that had kind of um, won an award and I wanted to build it out and I was traveling around the world for 13 months. And I was traveling with an old, uh, you know, old Moleskine notebook. And I thought like, ah, oh, this modern day Hemingway, <laughs> I had all these these bold ideas. Um, but but then as I was traveling, I realized that I was following what's called the pirate round, which is this route that pirates took. So we, we think a lot about Caribbean pirates, but there were also a lot of pirates on the east coast of Africa. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I was traveling up. Mozambique, Madagascar, Mauritius, this area that was really frequented and trafficked heavily by pirates. And I toured a pirate graveyard in, um, in, Ma- in Madagascar, off of a little island in Madagascar. So it's an island off an island in Mad- Madagascar, and it was amazing. So no tour guide. There was this little girl, she was probably about four years old, and she saw me coming and she kind of motioned to me and she was like, you know, we didn't share any language, but she made it very clear. She and her friend made it very clear that they wanted to give me like this little tour. So they walked me through this pirate graveyard and there's real gravestones with real skulls and crossbones on them, like real pirates from, <laughs> from the
1: 1600s. A, a graveyard. You might see a cross and a crescent moon and a, and a Star of David yeah. and then skull and crossbones. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure it's not that case in, in this graveyard.
0: No, it was absolutely that. It was that case. Like there were were gravestones and instead of like, you know, here lies old John, he was a good dad like you might see in England. It was literally like uh, there was one that said, it's a short life but a merry one for me. So like people (laughs) – and it had a skull and crossbones. Some people basically saying like I'm just going to drink a lot and die young (laughs) but that's badass.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: Uh, and and the girls, you know, it, Madagascar is really there's a lot of what's called fatty f a d y, and it's uh, it, just kind of little pieces of mythos, little superstitions and things like that. So the girls showed me all these incredible little pieces of mythology that they do. You know, one of them that I'll never forget was that they cracked an acorn on one of the gravestones, and placed the cracked acorn kind of on. One, like a little divot in the gravestone, and there was about ten other ones in there, and so it was it, the, these little pieces of superstition. Mm-hmm. The, the whole thing obviously captivated me, and uh, and just made me want to start writing for a younger audience. And I've really, I've been writing for a younger audience. Like right now, I'm also doing a book for National Geographic for kids, and right, that's that's uh, you know that's a book that National Geographic chose, but it's also for a younger audience, and I've really, really deeply enjoyed that.
1: I was going to ask about like voodoo. I didn't know if that would have been, you know, a, a, an influence in that sphere of the world, but uh it sounds like it almost touched on that a little bit, pulling out the acorns and cracking them on the gravestones.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I think you find this deeply superstitious culture wherever you go because, you know, in Madagascar they have something called the turning of the bones, and what happens is after someone has been dead for a year, they paint the bones. Um, and they take the bones back out of the sarcophagus and they paint the bones and then people mourn with them again. And it's hugely like traumatizing. Actually, women will often go into a trance and, and go, you know, be rocking back and forth as this very traumatizing event. People will vomit sometimes.
1: Um, Jeez. I'm I'm thinking about all the inspiration you must have picked up for a children's book. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) pull out the bones, paint them, and if somebody pukes, somebody pukes. But you know, it's just it's just something you got (laughs) to do. That's right, that's right. You nailed it. Oh my gosh, (laughs) Um, that reminds me of Selawesi. You mentioned Indonesia. If I'm not mistaken, there's an island where they have a tradition of like. Basically, you have the family dinner table, and if somebody passes, you eat and live around that shrouded body for for quite a while. Did you interact with that as well? Because you also mentioned some about islands in uh, in Indonesia, right?
0: Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Indonesia. I didn't I didn't get to witness that tradition, but I'm aware, at least vaguely aware of it. And I, you know, I think that's what's so interesting is like. Uh, Northern, Northern Australia, where I've also spent a lot of time, has a similar like, relationship with the bones as Madagascar. And so you know, we see these, these kind of beliefs around how to deal with the dead all over the world. And you know, even though our belief is, here in the United States at least, is, might seem a little more, let's say, well, I guess it's just, it's just a little more neutral to us. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's equally absurd, like putting putting bodies in a box and burying them. Is there's that's certainly no more you know strange on an objective level than taking them out every year and crying over them, <laughs> or painting them, or you know sitting at a table and you know pretending to honor someone by having them be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think virtually every rit- ritual in the history of the planet is kind of equally valid and (laughs) equally crazy
1: in a fun way you know if you take it to it's it's very essence i mean and you boil down different cultures and heritage and and different societies you know you look at their food you look at their type of and degree of alcohol consumption you look at their marriage and religion rituals and then of course you know just as much as life is a part of life death is a part of life and um and so i think throwing yourself in the deep end in in some celebrations or situations where you find yourself around some some painted bones in Madagascar, that's maybe just what you gotta do sometimes. That's all about yeah, what, that's that's good travel, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I think through our other our previous conversation with you and through the research you know that I've done on your website, one thing that I really admire that you're doing is allowing people to feel like travelers and not and not overly managed tourists. You know, I I think that that's where travel is heading right now. And it's all of the data, you know, because I'm a travel editor now, I'm getting constantly, you know, everyone's sending me data. And all of the data is that everybody wants to just have an experience and not necessarily feel over packaged or over managed or over kind of, you know, moderated. They want to feel like they're out there in the world but they don't always have the tools to do it. And I, I feel like I want to compliment you. I feel like you're doing such a good job having this nuanced thing where, where you're helping set people up, but they still get to feel like this authentic traveler.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Those are kind words. Um, I think that's so important in this day and age to, to find that balance of, of making those interpersonal connections, utilizing technology to the point where it puts you in the right time and place. But then it's just you that, that has to take your um, your attitude and your um, uh, how should we say this? You, like it, it's it's up to you to put yourself in those situations and really embrace them and engage with them, because today you see if you go into a hostel, a lot of times you'll see a whole row of 30, 40 backpackers just on their iPads and iPhones or computers. Right. And um, this kind of is a nice segue into how I wanted to, um, uh, another thing I wanted to discuss with you is I see Uproxx as kind of on the leading edge of travel and social media. Um, Are there any trends that you see right now that people are, it really does democratize uh, the chance to, you know, create travel blogs technology does to create travel blogs photos videos but you also got to find a balance so i'm curious do you see any trends on the on the travel horizon here in uh, in 2017 and, and moving forward
0: yeah i think i see a lot and i think it, you know trends are so interesting to me i I've, for the first time in my life i've started to follow them both because because they get i get a lot of data passed to me but also because i'm just intrigued with how people move both around the world, you, know, you and I both know that travel trends around the planet really come up and surface and bubble to the forefront and then kind of recede. But also because, you know, the interesting thing with travel is, and I've written about this a fair bit, is that like in fashion, right? In fashion, you have couture. And couture might cost $5,000 for a dress. But then that trickles down, that trickles down to like a mid-level dress for $220 and then eventually, like, you find it at H&M or The Gap. And mm-hmm, so the, mm-hmm. the most expensive, the richest thing leads the trends. And in travel, we don't see that, actually. We see that the least expensive leads the trends. So we see backpacking leading the trend. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the expensive kind of B&B type place, this almost mid-level. And then it goes, then it kind of trickles back down, and and the final step is like the package tourists. That's the equivalent of the gap, right?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That reminds me of just good old-fashioned gentrification. I mean, if you look at Brooklyn or uh, East London or the new town here in Prague, the, the poorest neighborhoods are the only places that artists who want to live close to the city can afford to live in. They move in, then an ecosystem of cafes, bars, nightlife pops up around them. And then all the less cool people with more money move in because they want to be around it. And then uh, <laughs> right, right, edge and then it's out over, all the right. original, you know, the OGs, the cool artists at, yeah. who moved there in the first place. Um, yeah. So you're absolutely right. I can see that, that parallel in just um, uh, traveling culture as well
0: yeah and I think traveling luckily it's a little more innocuous because no one is is getting booted out of their homes and they're enjoying that tourism dollar. But it's true. I mean, i I was uh, interviewing a resort, and I was curious. I said, "How do you guys find the next big place?" And he just looked at me and he said, "We just follow the hippies." And it <laughs> crushed my soul. like it just like it just like defeated me so badly. <laughs> But I understood it, too. I saw how these systems kind of rotate around travelers.
1: This episode of Andy Steve's Travel is brought to you by our new guidebook, Andy Steve's Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. It's available online and in stores now. This guidebook highlights the key information you need to know about our favorite cities like top sites, delicious restaurants, crazy nightlife venues, clubs, basically all to help you maximize your time, fun, and budget while traveling through Europe. Check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and of course, your local bookstore. Andy Steve's Europe, city hopping on a budget. Happy travels. So how, how many days a year do you spend on the road? That's a good question. It really
0: depends for me. Um, you know, right now I have a novel due. And, and I also have, I'm in a very serious relationship. And my girlfriend is a grade school teacher. So I'm home quite a bit more. And then over the summer, uh, we, uh, we crossed the entire country using used French fry oil. <laughs> we took the, the oil from their fryers. This was when people were really intrigued in that idea, like 2011, and everyone was making these complex modifications to their car, and we didn't do that at all. We literally just filtered it through a woman's stocking, like a, a pantyhose, <laughs> straight into the engine, <laughs> and we went all the way around the country that way. Oh my gosh. It was a really, really cool project, and it was filmed for an Australian TV show. A show which I don't think ever saw the light of day. I think they said they sold it to a couple airlines or something, but mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it ever saw the light of the day. I'm
1: sure it's a cult classic. We just don't know it. We haven't found the cult yet. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I'll I'll send you the I'll send you the YouTube link and you can tell me if it's a cult classic. Great, great, great,
1: great. That reminds me, you know, who killed the electric car, who killed the used French fry oil car.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, oh the funniest thing the funniest thing about that trip, we were traveling around the country and you know, naturally, like me being this kind of hippie and wanting independent businesses to thrive, we were going up to fish and chip shops like mom and pop places and asking for their used oil. And their used oil was like this toxic sludge. It had been heated up and, and then cooled down again too many times. Oh. It was a catastrophe. We started we started going to McDonald's, who was under a lot of scrutiny for for making unhealthy food. McDonald's, if you don't know, uh, which I'm sure you probably. Probably do, but McDonald's in Australia is much more highly regarded than in the United States. Mm -hmm. But they had this crystal clear oil that was used every day, and and they were so nice to us. The managers of different McDonald's would call ahead in different cities. We're traveling through the outback, and so there's sometimes there's not a fuel up for miles and miles. So they, we would take sixty gallons of (laughs) used oil on the roof of our car.
1: Little did I know this would be a call-out for uh, McDonald's processed and utilized uh, French fry oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. It's the first, <laughs> the big first brand endorsement I've ever given to big but I have to say they were under a lot of yeah. scrutiny in 2011, and they had the cleanest oil that I've ever seen in
1: my life. There you go. Oh man. Well, there's a there's a reason for policies and protocols for for French oil. Ex- now we know exactly. Um, One thing I definitely want to do with you is uh, we've opened the podcast and our Facebook pages to receive questions for this podcast so we could kind of live answer them in in an interesting way. By far the biggest response that we got is, uh, what apps do you use while on the road? Of course I I can go first, but I'd love to hear yours. Um, when I'm on my phone, the biggest step forward into the 21st century that I've taken recently is just to get a $5, um, you know, little SIM card and load it up with 15 or 20 bucks a credit if I'm in a city for, for a week or two. And man, that allows me to stay in touch. It allows me to make international calls via Skype, WhatsApp, Google Maps, I'm on that constantly. And then I subscribe to a number of podcasts, uh, BBC, NPR, uh, to, to get a rundown of uh, what's going on in the world. One of the apps I use constantly is XE. That That's one that gives you uh, like currency exchange rates. Um, and especially if you're going to... Thailand or Indonesia right. or Budapest, you're going to be having bills that are thousands and thousands. And you're wondering, you know, is this enough for a beer or enough for a car? You don't really know, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious to, do, do any come to mind for you? Because mine are so mainstream. I mean, it's just, it's Google maps, it's news apps, but all of that's so well known. I'm, I'm curious if you have any more uh, unique uh, apps to add.
0: Well, I'm going to be an interesting person to talk with here because you know, we're all going to have to make decisions about how we relate to our cell phone. Like that's, that's a decision we have to make. And I think we're seeing, especially in, in a generation, one generation younger than mine, people saying, all right, I've had this tool my whole life or my whole adult life. I can decide when to put it away where it's actually like my generation and a little older who is like overly fascinated by it because we're just so kind of Amazed by this thing that came in a little, a little later in our lives. So for me, I I don't bring a cell phone traveling at all. I bring it, I turn it oh. off, I lock it in the bottom of the bag. I've had to a couple times recently because I'm I, doing the digital nomad thing and working. And then it's the same ones as you. Like I, I love XE. I love you know I I. Rarely use mapping systems, but I I do sometimes get in a jam Um, But mostly the same as you Mm -hmm. I go to the up app. You know how that is (laughs) there you go You know the truth is for me So like one of the great trips that I took recently that really reminded me of why I love travel my girlfriend and I She is definitely like she has that spirit that that I love so much We went to Laos and we bought a boat and when I say bought a boat Like I don't want any of your listeners to think like oh this guy falls out (laughs) We bought a boat for, I think, $170. <laughs>
1: that's as much as a rental fee in a lot of other cities.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a half-day rental. That's like I calculated it. I was like, that's three days with a yeah. surfboard in Costa Rica. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we bought this boat and we rode it down the Mekong River in Laos for seven days in a row. And we just camped on the side of the river and you know, didn't have any access to technology and we stopped in small villages. I've never seen hospitality like this. Like, you know, I, I've been a travel writer for a long time. I've traveled to a lot of countries and I think that people always say, like, where are the most hospitable people? And this was a different type of hospitality. This was, like, absolute refusal of any attempt by us to contribute financially. Uh, this This really joyous celebration of food where, you know, one night... It's dusk, it's dark, which is a naturally uncomfortable time for all humans. We walk into a village that has no electricity. And within two minutes, the whole is crowded around us. Within ten minutes, all the grandmothers have brought us their food to serve us. There was one guy who spoke a little bit of English, Uh but saying, you know, this is the house you're sleeping in and this is, you know. And so for me, I think because I work on the Internet, like escaping technology is a part of my journey.
1: Yeah, I got you. I
0: don't I don't disrespect anyone who doesn't want to do that, who wants to stay plugged in. I totally get that. And there's a whole bunch of good reasons for it. But for me, you know, like kind of ditching it is that's part of the trip for me i think
1: it's cathartic for sure i love how you're creative on travel accommodation and transportation for example I convinced six of my friends after our semester abroad in Rome to fly to Athens and we chartered a boat for about the same cost split among us as it would have cost to stay in a hostel in Athens for the same time and wrapped into one you got accommodation and transportation and so I I love to look for deals and to think outside the box and think creatively like that how do you fit two, like, you're not, you're not overweight by any means, but like two Western, two Western <laughs> sized butts on one of those skinny Lao canoes with all your belongings on it. Weren't you worried about tipping it over or getting unbalanced?
0: We were worried.
1: We, it took a little while to get, so it's so long,
0: you know, she was sitting up front and I was sitting in the back and it's such a long canoe. The reason they have them so long, I finally realized, was there are so many whirlpools on the Mekong up in wow, yeah. that the boat actually needs to stretch across the whirlpool. And these are whirlpools like when I was a kid, DuckTales was on TV. And they would, <laughs> I, I think like, I, there must have been a rule, like there must have been a union rule that they had to get sucked up by a whirlpool every second episode. So I've seen a lot of whirlpools in my life. And... <laughs> And these were like that type of whirlpool. You know, we would be afraid that we would tip. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes for sometimes for five hours at a time. And you're
1: just yelling at each other, paddle, paddle. Yeah, but
0: <laughs> sometimes the whirlpools would just spin us downriver. Wow. And we would just look at each other. There's nothing we could do. We're, we're heading downriver, but we're constantly spinning and fighting it is just silly. Oh, my gosh. So it was pretty – certainly also like relationship bonding-wise, <laughs> it's a pretty smart trip to take. Yeah. So, but it's I I love that you did that with the boat. Yeah. I think that that's so cool, and I think that that's such an intrepid way to travel. And your friends are going to talk about that thing for their entire lives. Mm-hmm. I try wherever I go, I try to crack the mode of transport. So when I was when I was in East Africa, I was like, you know what? If you want to be here, you need to have a car, and it needs to be a four wheel drive. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a four wheel drive, not an expensive one. It broke down constantly. I got completely ripped off. <laughs> having it having it break down constantly was probably one of the best travel experiences of my life, because I'm in these small Maasai villages in southern Kenya, and Maasai warriors with full regalia, full you know, full on Maasai warriors carrying spears. Mm-hmm are helping me rethread the drive shaft of a jeep at 4 a.m. Oh because I really want to get into a national park. Uh, you know, and so it was this really incredible experience of having my own transport there. The other thing that came out of that that was so cool was getting to hang out at the guide canteen and the guide hostel for the the people who are guiding the the rich uh, you know, safari lovers oh my know?
1: gosh that's where the party is that's it's the like the steerage is. party level in the titanic you know in the titanic movie like that's where the party is i uh we were on a cruise and me and my sister tried to sneak up into the staff new year's party a couple years ago and we got in for a couple moments but then we were booted but uh no that's that's awesome See,
0: you seem i could travel with you <laughs> i could travel with you just fine
1: oh man well, if you're familiar with Vice Media, they have something called like uh, they had an episode of like the, the, the Cowboys of East Africa or something. And your story kind of reminds me of that. Their trucks would run out of um, oil and they'd be going from South Africa up to, you know, Somalia or something. And they'd run out of oil. So they'd just be stuffing banana peels into the engine. And somehow that works.
0: Man, it was it was such a – and it felt so invigorating. I remember one of the things that happened that was wild was I was down in southern Tanzania and I wanted to cross over to Mozambique. And very few people do that. You have to cross a river called the Ravuma River. And there was – I had gotten there and time was kind of ticking. I had promised – it was it was like November and I had promised to meet my sister in Madagascar for Christmas. And – so i had to wait three days in this dusty border town in southern tanzania because the ferry that was supposed to take me across had gotten stuck in the middle of the river
1: dang it i just hate it when i'm in a southern exactly, <laughs> a, a southern random city and just waiting for the waiting for the ferry to cross
0: <laughs> waiting for the ferry. so the ferry had been high centered because of a low tide like a low lunar tide and so i had to wait for the lunar cycle to change and then a high tide to get the ferry off right so I did that, and I went down to Mozambique, had an amazing time in Mozambique, and then came back, and the ferry was stuck again. <laughs> and I was, I was like – I didn't have the time. At this point, I'm like rushing back to make a flight to meet my sister. And I walked across the river, and I was like, you know what? I think we can float this and i had run out of currency mozambique and and tanzania both have their own currencies and i didn't have any of either (laughs) i needed to get to ATM, and so i paid my last five bucks to a couple guys and what happened was i drove into the river and then turned the car off and we all got out and just guided the car across the river oh my gosh Um, but at the end there was a guy standing there and he and his buddies had pulled a chain across our our way and the tide was rushing in and my car was in danger of being swept away and there was this this kind of heated conflict and i remember after it being like this this is that wild west moment like this is the closest i'll ever get to the wild west of the united states which is a time period (laughs) i'm very fascinated by like when someone says sorry this is my land you can't drive your car out of the river and you think like okay then my car is gonna get swept away or I'm going to have like this, this conflict moment. So <laughs> but uh, hey, as
1: long as you can, um, you know, teamwork, international and, um, you know, cross-cultural communication and cooperation, you, you can there get you a truck out of the river. You oh man, do it. Steve. Hey, well, if there's one thing I've learned today, it's definitely that Steve Bermucci throws himself into the deep end of any situation he finds himself in, whether it's, you know, t- taking an old Nissan across East Africa or checking out Komodo dragons in Indonesia or uh, filling up cars with uh, used French fry grease to go across <laughs> Australia, you know, whatever it is, I think you're, you're a fun guy to follow. So how can we stay up on you?
0: Well, I am constantly writing and editing at uprocks.com life or back. I guess it's forward slash backslash life. Um, so check that out. And then I have my own website launching this week, actually, to support my book and my, my travel stuff. And that's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, B-R-A-M-U-C-C-I dot com. I'm at Steve Bram on everything. I, I, I have the monopoly on at Steve Bram. B-R-A-M.
1: Steve Bram. Yeah. Cool. Steve, thank you so much for coming on this show. I just love working with you over the last couple of years. Um, it's been a pleasure connecting with you. And whenever our paths cross, I hope we'll uh, find some time for a beer and uh, and a coffee to, to keep things going.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate so much what you're doing. I think you're getting people out on the road. And I think the best thing that that I've witnessed from what you guys are doing is really giving people that traveler spirit. And that's something that can't be faked. You know, I've seen a lot of tourism outlets who who try to fake that and just and just can't. And you're really doing it and it feels very authentic. And it, so I commend you on that.
1: Thanks, Steve. Well, Steve Ramucci from Uproxx, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure having Steve on the show. I hope we'll have him back sometime soon. And uh, all the best, buddy. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks again for listening. Find all show details, links, and tips at andysteves.com. You can connect with WSA Europe, Andy's tour company, at WSA Europe on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Happy travels.